episode number 70. Pull that off. (laughs) All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? Good. Good. (laughs) All right. Another episode. Looking forward to this episode. 70 is cool. Number 70 is always a cool number. Um, We're supposed to be wiser by now, you know. Well, see, I'm getting close to 70. So I'm, I'm supposed to be in wise old man territory, but um, I'm not sure that I'm exactly there just yet. At the end of last episode, we were having lunch and we got to talking about, um, well, just growing up in general, but the fact that both your boys were going to school. And I don't know how we backed ourselves into this conversation, but it was good. And we thought, oh, we should do this about how do you teach your boys how to be men in the modern society. Let me just read two quick quotes and then we'll We'll um, pick up from that. One is from uh, Robert uh, Twigger. He wrote a book called Being a Man in the Lousy Modern World. Uh, He's a travel writer type guy. So let's face it. In the lousy modern world, there's no such thing as manliness. There's no such thing as virtuous behavior that only applies to men. It's better to get this one dealt with straight away. I do not mean that there aren't subcultures which are sexist. I'm talking about the formerly accepted mainstream culture. There are human virtues, but there are no exclusively male virtues. Notions such as manliness are old hat now and best forgotten. Hold on to that thought for a second. And then this other one is from Susan uh, Faludi from a book called Stiff, The Portrayal of Modern Man, a little bit more serious than Robert's aspect. And I kind of fit into, or at least was raised in this kind of mold of this one here, he's saying here. So the man controlling his environment is today the prevailing American image of masculinity. Masculinity. A man is expected to prove himself not by being part of society, but by being untouched by it, soaring above it. He is to travel unfettered, beyond society's clutches, alone, making a break in whatever or whoever crosses his path. He is to be in the driver's seat, the king of the road, forever charging down the open highway along that masculine Mobius strip that cycles endlessly through a numbing stream of movies, TVs, novels, advertisers, and pop tunes. He's a man because he won't be stopped. He'll fight attempts to uh, tra- tap, tap him down. If he has to, he'll use his guns. It seems to us that it seems to us as if it has always been thus ever since the first frontiersman strode into the new world wilderness his rifle at the ready so that's the man men <laughs> see i like that definition myself I, personally because that's kind of well i like the, the, the first quote that you read about the fact that there's no exclusive qualities in other words and and the reason why i like it is because it, it ties into the thing I think we need to talk about first maybe, which is why it's so difficult to talk about men versus women and basic differences and because you can't talk about that. You can't talk about how to raise men or what it means to be a good man in our modern society if you can't talk about how men are different than women. Yes. But I find it really difficult to talk about how that difference is there because as soon as you talk, so, you know, 
I was just kind of reflecting about how there's all these articles and you sent me a bunch and I, I have, you know, books on how to raise boys and all this kind of stuff. So there's all this kind of material out there. And yet when you try to have a conversation with people often about boys or men mm. or whatever, you immediately get a kickback to, well, girls are like that too. Yes. And equal. Yeah, and it's funny because it kind of shuts down the conversation and it, it it pushes you back into a realm where if you do not believe that men and women are equal in all ways, not morally equal, but the same, then you're sexist. And, and you know, the, yeah. this, this kind of thing comes up and so, but yeah. it's, And, and it's biologically we're different. You know, so there is no sameness there. We're biologically different. Uh, men are stronger, built stronger. Yes, you get some women that are stronger than men, but overall, you know, men can run faster, all that sort of stuff. It's just because we're physically built in that way. Yeah. And there's other ways that, you know, women have a lower center of gravity, so better at sort of the abdomen range stuff. Um, so we are different. And I think people just kind of, blend the sort of physical biological thing all together with the moral and or sort of yeah well and the idea that you can have equal rights yeah to do any kind of work or any kind of activity is different than saying there's something different about the experience of being a man and the experience of being a woman yeah so we're the same but different is kind of how I look at it, and and rightfully so. I mean, it's just I think you know those differences are what makes us strong as a species in that end. And why would you want to mess with that or temper with that, but use it to the strength that it sort of that it is? But we yeah. seem to be kind of go into a place where you want men to be, and this is where I have the hard time. Where it seems like we, if you want to act like a man then you get some <laughs> labels whatever that means i guess we can explore what do i mean by yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's kind of what <laughs> about being a man that you kind of get pushed to not do and and of course you know with the rise of all the transgendered rights and yeah. you know which is all great stuff then in a way i feel like that adds a diff another difficulty to talking about men and masculinity and women and you know what it means to be a woman because you have to be sensitive to the fact that you know there's you know transgender there's you know people that don't identify with either or that change their identifications or were born one way and feel another and you know I, I sort of feel like we should be able to talk it's it's comes back to this like our inability to deal with gray you know, as opposed to black and white, like everything has to be black and white. Whereas actually, I feel like we can say, yes, there are exceptions. Yes, this is a sliding scale. Yes, this, there's no, like in the first quote that you read, there's no exclusive qualities. But there are qualities that are in general different. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, something. So maybe you're right when you said that they're, you know, morally, they're, you know, and that's sort of if you're looking at behavioral, more, moral, probably more so than anything. We're talking about values and attitudes. There's maybe no exclusive, excuse me, to men. Um, and maybe the, the, the only real difference differences do come from the sort of biological 
genetic sort of makeup. I mean, I have this um, thing recently, which is it sort of highlights what I'm talking about. So I shared this, uh, being a mother of two sons, uh, and my best friend is also a mother of two sons. So she shares kind of articles on Facebook with me about raising boys. And so I read this one and I was like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. We can talk about it in a little bit. So I shared it. I like it already. Think uh, caveman. (laughs) I like the first point there. Yeah, man. But, you know, and and what I found interesting about it is it's called um, On Raising Boys, A Father's Advice to Mothers. Right. And, uh, you know, it just kind of highlights the fact that sometimes as a woman, your natural instincts or your ways of interpreting things are not necessarily right because your experience is actually so different. You're processing things so different. Yeah, you got and an that, example. That. What's that example? That, that? Well, that's the difference between children and adults yeah, as yeah. well. You know, so you, you know, it's hard to sometimes step back into. Oh, anyway, basically, I shared this thing on Facebook, and one of the main points is also about like hero play and Batman lives forever. Yeah, and uh, I immediately get a kickback from, and, and not in a bad way, but from a friend saying, "Well, girls want to be superheroes too," and I'm like, "Yes." That's true. Superhero play is not exclusive to boys. Yeah. You know, when I was little, I was Superman for like ages and I had my mom made me a little cape and I used to go outside every morning and she'd press the garage door button and I'd pretend to lift it. Ah. And that was, that was first. And then I was Robin Hood for years. And, uh, but I don't see the kind of excessive, obsessive hero play among girls. Right. It, in a way that it that I do with my boys now, who are four and six and a half. But some people would say that it's because of the way we culturalize them. So we socialize yeah. them to be that. But I don't, I mean, I personally yeah. think that you, it's a natural tendency, but others would make the argument that we I, Yeah, and I think that's, that's that where way. we have to like get into the gray and be okay with there being some gray bits here mm. because... You know, there is no exclusiveness to it, but I agree with you that... So give me an example of, from a, you know, you're a mother, I'm a father, and where would this, that difference of experience, how does it play itself out? Have you got an example from... Well, yeah, I mean, one of the, some of the things, so (laughs) to get into the Think Caveman. Yeah, Think Caveman. So it, it says, and you can tell me what you think about this. Adult women have thousands of emotional states, as do girls like my daughter. Boys, on the other hand, tend to feel one of three things. Mad, sad, happy. Don't project your com- complex emotional life on your son. He might, his issue at the moment might not be all that complicated. And I suppose I guess what I'm saying, what I, what I took away from that is not that men and boys don't have complex emotions. And my older son, who's six and a half, is, yeah. is quite emotionally complex. But as a mother, I probably want to talk about things a lot more. And and the way that I would deal with it and react to it might actually be better suited to a girl who wants to chat about this kind of stuff. Mm. Whereas, you know, you kind of with boys, I feel like I need to find other ways of helping him negotiate the emotions that he feels without having a big, long conversation about it. All right. Hmm, so where am I at on that scale? Yes, I'm probably I mean, that the, changes, yeah. I'm sure. I'm dealing no, with no. little ones as well. No, so no, no, I, I get that. I mean, you, if so, I'm thinking about the, you know, do we have just those three? So we have the, you're right, we have the complex emotions, but they probably express themselves in the three that you've put there. But um, 
I think maybe the nuanced difference is that we would probably, as you're hinting at here, internalize the conversation with ourselves as opposed to want to verbalize that conversation or to talk about it. It'd be, and then maybe again, maybe it comes back to the, the Susan Faludi quote in terms of, if, well, if I feel the nature to hold that sort of stuff in. That's the kind of stuff you don't be expressing all these emotions. That stuff you can have inside your head. No one's, no one ever told me I couldn't have the emotions. It was just accept it that you don't express those emotions because mm-hmm. you need to, yeah, that's not man stuff. <laughs> right. So they're there, but we don't express them in that way. And maybe they express themselves in, in sort of the other ways, I think. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I just think that, you know, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, yeah, my six-year-old's just constantly telling me, like, please but you know, don't he, make me have a do conversation. You know it's just interesting Did you say that, because my first course of action wouldn't get him to want to talk through the complex. It would just be me, you know, yelling <laughs> and being in a, in a, in a um, is a yelling the right word for it? Um, probably a more that kind of thing. Oh, you know, be a man type thing. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. I'm saying. I guess if I wouldn't, my natural inclination wouldn't be to say, let's sit down and talk about this. It would be to give commands and say, this is how well, it exactly. is. Yeah. And not to say that either of those are right or wrong, but no. you know, it does help you reflect, I think. On like, your... Suck it up. <laughs> and sometimes we all need to just suck yeah. it out, don't yeah, we? Suck yeah. Suck it up. Yeah, just like um, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, like like when my son was little, and for me, if there was no you know blood or limbs falling off, then it was like yeah, so what? So like my son was out playing in the back garden, and I hear all this all this sort of screaming going on. You know, for me, it's like okay, yeah, so I'm screaming, so what? And the you know the wife's running out there, and basically he fell into an ant nest. And then for me, it was like, oh, good. <laughs> so, now you know what that feels like. Where you know she's all freaking out and you know mothering him, trying to get him to calm down. It was like, eh, you know, he ain't hurt. And then I walk walked back into the house. And for me, that was that yeah. was fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my neither of my boys are very. Um, they probably have fairly high pain thresholds. You know, neither of them make too much of a deal, particularly my older one can kind of like fall over and be bleeding and kind of be, <laughs> I'm fine, I'm fine. So I don't really kind of get into that dilemma very much, but there's definitely a lot of let's please, please, mommy, don't make me talk about it, please. Anything, <laughs> beat me before you make me talk about something. You, know? you have to talk about it. I like this idea about the caveman thing as I kind of identify with that sort of the caveman think. Um, cause, and maybe this is, you can, you can enlighten me because I think sometimes women do complicate life, whereas oh, I yeah. see life very simple. Yeah. And, um, on this whole silence aspect, con- the contention sometimes, like we're, say with Ruth and the like, is that I consider being in the same room as spending time, whereas she wants to have a conversation and talk. Yeah. And now you don't spend any time. Well, wow, we're in the same room. That's an, for me. That is enough. We're in the same room. So yes, we are yeah. connecting. I don't need to actually have a conversation. Well, and, you know, I talk. think I think that there's there's some things about kind of manhood and communication and stuff that I think does kind of contribute to this 
this is what in a lot of the articles it's about yeah. is like men have to start learning to communicate like women and talk about their feelings all the time and whatever. No, and we don't want none of that. Well, but that's that's the no, yeah. that's the request, isn't it, from mm. like the greater society at this point and and part of the confusion about what does it mean then to be a man? Are we supposed to then you know? And I think that there's there's a couple things I've kind of reflected on about that. One is that. I think while women need to, and I certainly feel like, you know, with my husband, there's an acceptance that he is not going to be the person to talk to about certain things, you know, like certain things, he's just not going to be interested. I need to go like talk to one of my other women friends about it or my mom or whatever. Um, and, And also I think there's a way of respecting the various ways that men communicate that are not verbal, that are not about telling you what they feel, but about showing you what they feel through their actions, through their body language, through all kinds of things. And I think action-oriented love, for instance, is a big thing with men that, you know, when, when my son, I mean, this is like a silly example, but when my son feels remorse, he goes and cleans his room. He doesn't, it's hard for him to apologize, which is bloody typical. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, his first instinctual response, which I found so interesting, was like, I want to do something to show you that I'm sorry. So he, you know, would tidy up things, you know. And I think that 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 is true for a lot of men. It's like, I, I'm showing you, I don't say it all the time, or I don't have to have these big, long conversations about how I feel about you. I'm showing you every day by, you know, X, Y, yeah. whatever. Um, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing where we're talking about. But I about, also think men need to listen to women sometimes. Because we, we need to talk. Well, we listen, but we, we, have a, we have a very honed skill to hear what you're saying, but we're not actually listening um, to most of the stuff that you guys are saying, just, just so you know. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, cause most, there's a whole bit in, yeah. the, in one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the, uh, things that I read about how men don't hear as well as women. I was like, well, hmm. we hear, we just don't listen. Yeah, right. It's two different things. Um, on a, on a, I guess on a, on a plane of like this, the Susan book and another book that I was reading, one of the things that, um, they were saying about a male crisis is this idea that. Um, our rite of passage. So a woman's transition from girl to woman happens biologically and naturally with the yep. oncoming of the period. Yep. Men don't have that physical thing to say boy, man. Yep. And so in our past, we had the idea of a ritual. So yes, we'd go out on your spirit quest or your whatever to we get accepted into the tribe. So you have to go through some trial, survive the trial, and then you're a man on that end. And one of the arguments is that we lack that, yeah, and that I, transitional ritual process yeah. from boy to man. Yeah. There was um, a bit about that in that book, Raising Boys by Steve Biddulph, I think his name is. Um, let's see. But one of the things that he says about the initiation is that although that's now all we see is actually the initiation ceremony that would have been like surrounded by lots of mentoring of, yeah. from the men and and kind of months of t- 
taking the boys off to work with them and teach them show stuff them how to hunt, and show them exactly how to make tools yeah. show how to you know and also you know the passing on of kids. stories or of yeah. you know these kind of things and the cultural bits and yeah there was a really good bit about how in traditional societies they relied for their survival on men becoming men rather mm. than remaining in that kind of boyhood state and so they had a very clear process for how to like bring boys into manhood. U.S. Army, reliable, baby. <laughs> but uh, ship yeah. them off to the military. Yeah, to turn boys doing, into men. Yeah. We do, yes, we do, yes. But that was well, well that was a. I mean, um, in terms of process for me, I would have gone through that process. So I was seventeen and a half, left home, and then boom, you're right into going from civilian to military, and there's a you know a definite process of pulling you from. As they would say, you know, loosen you from your mama's and it, you strings. Know, it's funny because, you know, in the, the piece that you wrote about that time that you sent, that moment when you're like you've described, you're all in the auditorium and, and the guy speaking says to all the mothers, like, look, this is the last time you'll see your son as mm. he is, you know, because basically like. We're going to get transformed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And you have that kind of like, from my perspective, that kind of feeling of bittersweet thing. But I think the problem for women and mothers letting go of their boys and allowing that transition to happen is because we don't have those clear rites of passage and you don't feel like you're necessarily, I mean, in the military, maybe it's a little bit different, Mm. but otherwise you don't have a sense of like, okay, I've done my role. Now I'm passing him on to the next group of people who are responsible and reliable and going to do their part. You know, we kind of just like, you have to kind of like just let go, but without feeling like you're passing your son on to some, something else, Mm. you know? And I think that's potentially what makes women and mothers like cling to their sons because maybe the fathers aren't involved or there's not a lot of mentors or whatever. And so. I think that's a couple of things as well. I'm thinking sort of, Times have changed a bit because I, you know, growing up, it was, you know, the expectation of the provider aspect. So your whole gearing up at some point, you you know, you're playing with your toys and being a kid, but then you start having to take on responsibilities and doing chores. And then the whole of the language starts to be about, you know, once you get to X age and you're off and you're on your own. So, you know, the things that you're learning, you're learning to go because you're going to have to take care of yourself, kind of thing um whereas that line has kind of blended a little bit more as in there isn't an expectation because of economic reasons house prices and things like that where and just the general state of the world in itself where it isn't that you're grooming your kids necessarily to go away and and they're off on their own and start their sort of life type things and kids are staying home later you know boys are staying home later um, you know, yeah, so I don't know. I think the blending of that, so like my son didn't have the same, and this was probably more his mom's influence, didn't have the same, um, uh, what do you want to call it? I don't know, the background noise or the brainwashing noise saying when you turn X, yeah, you're out, you know, you need to, so you need to make sure that you're ready to take care of yourself by the time you turn 18, whatever that's going to look like. Um, so he didn't have that um, undercurrent or message playing mm-hmm. throughout his sort of 
you know, teen kind of years. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of things that are going on there. Yeah. And like in this that opening quotes from Susan, that whole sort of the re- reason I think she was pushing to say that men in the in their cultural crisis is that there's a push away from that. So when I read that quote, that would have been in America that was an earlier time. Whereas this whole thing, men need to communicate more, they need to listen, they need to express their feelings. So there's a big push for us to be, what I would say, to be more like women, which... Would, yeah, yeah, no, I would, I would say, it's to, yeah. you know, to try to make us women, no. Yeah. Um, and so, but you feel like the quote in there, and then you get, get well, you can get confused, because people want you to be like this, but you feel like another way. As, as a writer and... You know, I've, I, one of the things I kind of thought about is the rise of, or not the rise of, but the strength of the romance genre for yeah. women readers and the fact that there might be this pull for men to be a certain way, but there's also a really strong call for the story of men being a certain kind of man. Being manly man instead of a well, but, man. And, and I, I suppose the question continues to be, what does that mean? But um, the question for me, if I was answering that, yeah, strong character, self-reliant, some kind of pro- provider, so able to sort of handle themselves, take himself, handle tools, you know, be able to provide and be self-reliant and um, and a strong sense of character, i.e., duty. What's the right thing to do versus doing the you know doing the harder right over the easier wrong? So a, a real sort of almost a moral aspect grounded in there so that um the decisions and things that we make have a moral grounding to them as in right wrong where that scale might be and having the conviction to choose even though you know i know from my philosophy bit that all the stuff up here is a sliding scale but i think there's an expectation to say from a man's point of view is you pick whatever that course of action that you're going to pick and then you live by those principles, you live by those rules and you stand up to those and then you don't break those even on to death kind of, mm. you know. Um, and it's conviction. funny because I do think when I hear all of those things, again, it's not that women don't have those things to wrestle with as well, but there's a different flavor to it. Mm. I feel like that's what it is. It's like there's a just a... There's a it's a different tone to how that feels and how that is interpreted, you know. Yeah, so I don't know. I want to explore that, but let's take a quick break, and then yeah. you can tell me what the flavor, female flavor, is. is of morality. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Okay, well, right. I'll think of something. The Havana Cafe Sessions podcast was created to carve out space for contemplation in the middle of our busy week. Inspired by the very ancient idea that wisdom and principles of conscious living can be found through conversation, Clay and I started meeting over coffee at the Havana Cafe. From these meetings, the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast was born, and as an independent podcast, it is supported by listeners like you. Here's how you can help us support the show and continue taking time to explore the big questions in our lives. First and most importantly, you can share the podcast with friends on Facebook, Instagram, or old school, like talking to your friends. Ha <laughs> ha. Leave a review for us on iTunes, or you can support the show for as little as a couple of pounds or dollars a month. That's less than the coffee you are drinking right now while listening to this show by going to HavanaCafeSessions.co.uk and hitting that contribute button. 
Hope you're enjoying this episode, and thanks again for listening. All right, so a couple of things. You're going to tell us about the flavor, and then we're going to talk about the amoeba man. Well, just hearing you talk about it, it's like, it's not that women don't also have to find their own like place of morality, but there's something... Uh, I don't know. It's it's just different. It's like there's more. It's Is more that the complex. The maybe? nature provider instinct. Is it something to blend in that? Because a provider, you have the connotation behind that that I need to be able to go out and hunt and make tools and do these things. If I'm a nurturer, I need to be able to, you know, um, deal with more complex emotions. I yeah, guess deal and with stuff more like complex that. emotions. Yeah. Make sure that everybody's safe and you know taken care of from a health and safety kind of viewpoint yeah um and that at least for your kids that they have that emotional stability of the mom because a dad is going to be less emotionally available one because he should be out providing and doing his thing but yeah. even when he's back from the hunt he's not emotionally there so the kids get their emotional development and that emotional yeah. safety and care from, you know, yeah. From I mean, that's what that's what um, this raising boys kind of gives three stages of development. So he says zero to six, mother's the most important. Not that father's not important, yeah. but mother's the most important. That's the kind of learning to love stage and and developing that really intense, intimate love connection between mother and child. And then six to fourteen, he says this is when men when boys start to become curious about how to be and a man and so fathers start to become more important and then 14 to adulthood they need other male mentors beyond parents yeah is so, it didn't the spartans take their kids away at six or seven something like that it was around know. that age the spartans did they take them from their mothers so yeah mother nature them up to that age and then from i mean he says that you know that kind of thing would be too much that it's more of a kind of um who comes to the fore in importance. But this is a thing that I think that's sort of twisted now, and maybe the lines are blurred. And I'd like that. The zero to six, I think, is probably about right. So say by the time you're seven, your personality is solidified how it is. So there's two things that I think has to happen in that transition. One, the mother has to learn to start to let go. Because I think mm-hmm. mothers who continue to mother their kids beyond that actually do more damage than good well, you, later I, on but i think the thing is as a mother you have to learn how to change your mothering yeah do you know I, when what i mean? say so let go not, i mean it's it's it's, yeah. it's not I don't it's know not the that you're not there, but you're not treating you're not your seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not treating your seven-year-old or eight-year-old or like ten-year-old boy like a like a two-year-old or yeah, four-year-old. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's changing the nature of that relationship. So you're still there for them because you know the kids are always, you know seek their mother out and you know for these sorts of things but the nature changes like the yeah. mother who wants to keep their kid forever four five six is yeah, what, yeah, I'm, yeah. what i'm getting at here yeah, yeah, even yeah. when they're 13 14 30 years old type um aspect so um but i think those lines are kind of blended so yes kind of the fathers now if they're off and they're working these ungodly hours and stuff are they around to provide that space so you know like yeah. i know my kids you know they spend more time with their mother than they did with me so her influence is is there from that point of view but then when I was you know then my influence is felt from in another in a different way yeah and it's interesting to go back and look at 
like their drawings and things like that. And your kids are very perceptive and you could see that they had the roles that each of us played in the household and where we kind of sort of fit in. Mm -hmm. They also know who to go to for what and what kind of response they're going to get based off of what they want. Um, And I think in in my household anyway, they know what lines and who they can push the furthest and who they can't. Um, So they get to understand what those dynamics are. But then I think if we give them around its sense of mm-hmm. being human it's a better form it's when we don't give them that around its sense that i think that things kind of go a bit sort of awry yeah 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 okay well tell us about amoeba man oh uh, the amoeba man oh because we, we were talking about the romance during the break about romance novels and we we're talking about the outlander series and uh, you know they paint men and women want to start this certain kind of men in these novels so and I was mentioning the fact that there's this cultural mythology that we have, even from when they're you know were babies, in terms of meeting you, you know, one being a prince, but then ladies meeting their prince charming and getting married and living happily ever after. So that's the running mythology that um, it gets kind of drummed in and played through. And in the romance novels, again, again, you paint the man in this. Um, the kind of hero role, lone wolf-ish kind of, you know, you paint them in that sort of space. But then socially, we've kind of back to some you said before the break, is that we want men to be more communic, talk about their emotions more, talk more, listen more. So, you know, we've got that that we're saying men need to, and I liken it as men need to be more like women, speak going on. So with their brains... They want men to be more like women. Their biology is, well, actually, I want my man to be a man. So it's trying to reconcile those two things up. Um, And then the amoeba man came in is that I was up until probably 1920-ish, really what I would call the, I mean, someone gave me this term, I can't remember who I picked this up, but the amoeba man as in very, um, very nice guy, very, you know, the dude opening doors and be you know, just very nice, be there, you know, this whole complete Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. And then somewhere in there I clocked, and you can correct me as I'm wrong here, that women actually say they want a nice guy, but they don't like nice guys. They don't want a guy that's going to treat them bad or, you know, be abusive to them, but they don't want this amoeba guy, this super accommodating guy who, you know, is just so, so womanly. <laughs> and they they say they want a good, that nice guy. Amoeba like that, being kind of like accommodating without, yeah. a, without a strong center. And no backbone. No, yeah. you know, boom, no, just, mm-hmm. you, they don't have that aspect. And, and when I, when I, clocked that and shifted <laughs> the whole world has changed um it's hard to explain but i know the experience of having switched from being one way to being another way and a relationship with women completely well in change. the in the kind of celtic tradition and mythology or whatever the you know so the dance of the seasons is between the goddess and and the uh, the god so you have um like the green man in the yeah. summer and, and stuff like that and uh 
the the kind of imagery of that is the man as the kind of pole in which the woman spirals round, you know, so that there's a kind of centrifugal force with yeah. a man, whereas women is also, you know, there is a kind of, you know, a spiral still has a center, yeah, but there's more movement, more nuance to it, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So I think that's kind of kind, sort of an interesting depiction of, of the emotional state or what you're kind of talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, yeah. we've got yin-yang, right? So masculine yeah. and feminine policies. But, and, and I think, in fact, I think the yin-yang is the perfect example of how we need both. And that they, if both energies are allowed to express their energies exactly as they're meant to, yeah. then you have a more complete whole. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the thing that's very, you know, like when you have these romance stories, I mean, what we were talking about with the romance stories is is, is exactly what you were saying, the kind of juxtaposition between this call within society for men to be more communicative about their emotions. And, ma and maybe that's not totally wrong because maybe mm. we swung a bit too, too far. far. But um, at the same time, you have this massively popular genre read by women, you know, enacting this kind of like romance between men and women. And, the, you know, so Outlander's, you know, one of these kind of typical historical romances. And the thing I think that's so interesting as a writer about thinking about I suppose how we're depicting the ideal manhood, right? So like the hero in these romances is sort of tall, dark and handsome, silent. Not silent actually. Able to very much express himself but concisely and when mm. necessary. Very confident self self-confidence and that's right. decisive but it, but it's, and I mean, there's definitely a lot of nuance to the character mm. and there's times when there's, you know, m you know, massive vulnerability between the two of them, um, which is also really a part of manhood and, and, and that romance thing where, where are men allowed to be vulnerable with the woman they love, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I think that what is really apparent about that character in his embodiment of what a good man should be is that and and why why I sort of say that because we're you know the popularity of that show and that story is kind of depicting something that we kind of all want. Do you know what I mean? Then so what do women want? Well, no, but I mean one of the things I was going to say about this communication thing is that there it, it you know there's not a lot of talking. Occasionally there's a very concise, very deep and thoughtful kind of expression of emotion or of a backstory that means something. But I think also in that he, the hero is allows the woman, like you're saying with the yin and yang to be the way she is as a woman and chat and have her emotional kind of needs. And he's there to kind of meet those and respect those. So I think there is that kind of, Ying yang dance or or I don't know kind of like interaction I suppose between the good man and the good woman or whatever 
And do you still think, from your point of view, from a female's point of view, again, is it about, you know, taking care of your man that speak? So I'm thinking like Southern women are very but good I think, at this. But I think there's, there's in that relationship, you're both taking care of each other, aren't you? It's just that you're doing it in slightly different ways. Well, that is, uh, so, and I say this from a sense of, when it, that phrase itself, but then there'll be others that say that women shouldn't be that that way. So again, if we take away our to what I would say may have been more traditional roles in that sort of space. So man, the provider, woman, take care of a man. We're trying to liberate that as the mythology, as in we're all equal and we're all providing and we're all taking care of each other. So we're not differentiating um, that speak. Yeah. And I don't know, just some of the things that I observe that women that still have that mentality. So there's a dynamic. So there's a battle to say, do I do this or do I be like this way? Because we say we should get rid of that mythology like that and have this new one where everybody's equal and can do everything. Um, Or do I recognize that actually let the man do this bit, I do this bit and together we're a whole, we're much better, stronger in that way. Um, remember that commercial back in the days, the uh, uh, pantyhose commercial, a woman, she could do everything. She could <laughs> go and bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan. So the so women, and I think this is a, yeah. you know, women have a tough gig is because you're being painted in the corner that says you need to be able to do everything. You need to go out, work a 40-hour week, and take care of the kids, and take care of the house, and do all those things. Like well, that there was something. Was there was something in what I read about the kind of rites of passage and the way of, you know, kind of separating from the mother and the mother actually, actually letting go. And of course, all of this is hard because, like I said before, it's hard to let go when you don't have confidence you're letting go to something, you know, but mother letting go son going off into the world where fathers and other mentors are going to like help him initiate him into manhood and then him returning whether that's months days or years from that point of departure from his mother to now have a different relationship with her as a man and i think what it was saying which i found interesting is when you don't have that whether it's in an initiation or just a kind of modern way of active father or active mentors and mother changing the way that she mothers and and letting go in that way then men don't ever really learn how to relate to women as a man and continue to relate to all women like they relate to their mother which is you do things for me you take you know you're supposed to take care of me and kind of stay in that state of immaturity. And I, I, I really do see that sometimes with And do you think that dynamic that, should play out in the, in the household? But I think it does out. all the time. There's like a, and you know, with that Guardian article we read where the guy, you know, this guy was talking about how important work is for men and how men can be men at work, you know, at, in the way that you're describing, decisive, um, know where they stand about things, active, making choices, taking decisions. And yet, when they come home and become part of their family, 
they slip back into a kind of immature, inactive or passive state where they're not responsible for anything. See, this and is that's what I meant by those. So the men's that I think should still play out itself inside the household as well. In yeah. terms of being, as you say, being a man at work, but being a man at home. That's right. The same characteristics. And, yeah. then, and yeah. then the kids can see both of those energies at, yeah. at play. That's right. And uh, I think that, you know, so the beginning of this Raising Boys book starts out with a car crash. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a car crash that this author observed where some teenage boys had been in a car and, and gotten into a wreck. And he kind of uses it as a way of illustrating all the different masculinities that were being demonstrated. So you have like the reckless kind of testosterone-driven youth who is like all raw, but not really in control. Mm. And then you have like the policemen kind of consoling people and, you know, embodying that different kind of responsible manhood. And... uh yeah, I just, you know, I think that uh, it's it's more in kind of how you act, isn't it? No, absolutely. I think it's all about the actions. Um, when I talk about character, we're talking about what does make a good man and that character. And it's all, of, for me, it's the action. Action is character. So how do you behave? How do you do yeah. whatever it is that you do when and, everything gets played out through your actions? And, and if action is actually, because I think... You know, in a way, women are also able to, able is the wrong word. Women, I think, prioritize the chat and the stories and the who you are and the emotions and the all that stuff to define who they are. So a lot of female friendships is really about conversation and intimacy, whereas a lot of guys' friendships is just about activities together and stuff. But, um, yeah, but we're like, we're like, Walls. We communicate sublim. We do well, the same. Well, no, that's but fine. We don't totally. Need words. That's right. That's exactly yeah, we don't what I'm need saying. The words to say it. Totally. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. But then, you know, and I think part, some of this article was about how that kind of got warped for men because work changed so much, and so men became completely defined by their actions at work, and therefore they had to kind of, in order to be a man in that environment, you had to kind of put everything else secondary, including your family, in order to show that you, you know, your priority was work. And this is the Guardian article talks a lot about that because he becomes, a, um, you know, goes to medical school and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, if you're act- – and, and, and he really talks about how much of a detriment that is to men being able to just be themselves because you're defined by something singular and totally external to you. But then if action for men is so important in the way that you're kind of self-defining and, you know, performing being a man, then to come home and not be a man there says a lot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like your actions at home have to be those of a man, not those of a boy who wants to be taken care of by the mother. Well, the thing that I'd be interested to know... Is the that is so? I'd almost would say that the boy that goes to work and be a man that that doesn't exist. I think if you're a boy at home, you're a boy at work. As in you, you. I don't know. I see plenty. 
Okay. They're men, but you know, you want to slap them and say, be men. <laughs> yeah. You act like a man, but you can't say that because you got to be politically correct, isn't it? So you got to let them act like boys. But what does that mean? Like, give me an example. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're not decisive, you're not, and you want people to tell you what to do or you want, you don't, you're not taking pride in your work, you're not. You or know, responsibility, I guess. Or maybe. responsibility yeah. in okay, your work. Right. And so you, you got to ride those and i suspect that the guy that acts a guy the one thing i would say is this and i had to deal with this myself so being in the military being an officer my whole day is all about making decisions yeah so when i came home and then ruth is like well, what do you want for dinner what do you want to do like that? oh that's interesting yeah yeah then that used to i was like well damn i've been making decisions all day day i would i would like to have a break so for me it was like well i don't care what we eat don't care where we go i didn't want to have to make that but for her i suspect it was well i want to have a conversation and i want to make sure that you know um, that you you know that i'm giving you the thing that you want and so she wanted to say that i don't care them seemed callous but so the link up was interesting wasn't happening as in i really literally don't care and I'm tired You're of making decisions. You're doing a massive favor for yeah. me by just not making me. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever happens in the house, you paint the walls, make whatever. I don't care because this was my time to take off the armor. Yeah. So while I'm out, you know, doing battle, I've got to be all in this. So now I'm taking off the armor, coming across the moat. Let's put the drawbridge up. Yeah. And now can I relax from stuff? And I, you know, I think that works to a large extent. To, to whatever extent within the relationship it works, as long as there's a kind of respect f- for the parts that you're both playing. And I think that's the thing about being in a family is that everyone has to be part of a team. And how, however you as a family decide you're going to divvy up all the different, you know, jobs that have to happen in order to make everything function, then that's a process of negotiation but there's but your there's your key though is that communication so it you know that didn't so it took me a while to clock on to so until we so in my head I was knowing what I needed but I wasn't necessarily communicating it so then of course then you get the tension yeah, so yeah. I'm not communicating I know what I want yeah. um, and so this is where communication becomes important. Whereas, can you actually have a conversation with each other to say, "This is why I'm this way, and this is yeah, what I, I need"? I think that's and then- that's kind of the struggle for me as a mother with with the boys as well. Is like, you know, it's important for me to feel like I'm encouraging them to learn how to communicate to a certain extent, mm. and and. You know, kids need to be kind of pushed and encouraged in all kinds of ways, whether that's like you're climbing a tree, like, okay, let me tell you that you need to hold on with your hands as well. And there's certain kind of climbing tree skills that I can kind of pass on to you and you can watch other kids do. No, you don't but, pass it on. You let them do it. And then they fall and they get hurt. And it's good for them. <laughs> this is why people have mothers. So, but, you know... So the, there's certain things that I think you have to practice a little bit, you know. And so I do think you know when I see me, you and you're with your kids, I chuckle to myself because yeah, you I can see that. that you're a mother. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, and I'd be thinking. <laughs> but we need both, Clay. We need both. I don't know. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yes, but yeah. Yeah, I'm the one that's like, oh, you hurt yourself. Come on, stop it. But yes, Um, I know we need to stop talking here soon because we're 
getting near our time for you know what we're gonna do another episode we're gonna do separately on the on the uh magician okay yeah no, what are know, the four the king the warrior the magician and the lover the sort of so, four aspects of of being a man yeah those yeah pieces um there's a book called the average american male which i think was quite interesting and we're, we've been kind of dancing around this topic for a little bit maybe maybe there's an underlying context for it but in this book basically he's looking for the you know, so in the romance, is women are looking for the perfect guy type thing. Mm-hmm. This is almost kind of a male romance in the other way, and he's looking for the perfect woman. And there's this fantasy that the person perfect woman is like a female man, they like playing video games, don't like to have a lot of chit chat, like sports, like going out and doing all of these things. And in this book, he eventually finds a woman like that. But then, and you can read read this is but when he then he has that, then the dynamic of then he actually gets the sense of seeing that yes, actually, you know, is the perfect female a man <laughs> with yeah. boobs? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then actually, it turns out perhaps, perhaps not. not. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because when I first and it's an interesting book. Cause I had to read it, had to make a go at it twice. When I first started reading, I was like, "What is this junk?" <laughs> yeah. And then I had to. I was in a different state of mind, and I started reading. It was actually pretty clever hmm. and then when i picked up on that thread and i was thinking oh this woman she's like the perfect woman I was like hell yeah <laughs> yeah all right do all you know yes so yes that's interesting okay so um lots more to talk about but lots yeah. more to talk about yeah we could probably do you have any last words for me uh advice so you know we have this uh advice from a father well for me it is just let let the boys experiment. They're gonna, you know, if they get hurt, they, they'll recover. It's it's almost that they need to learn through experience. If mom is saying no, don't do this, watch this. Oh, you might get hurt. You'll fall down. Oh no, do. so then they don't have to work that out. And so what happens is the dependence on you to tell me what I need to do. If that doesn't stop at some point, then I want my girlfriend wife to be the one that tells me, oh, what I should do yeah interesting as opposed to just go i'll pick you up once you fall and get hurt and we can talk about it then but you need to go and experience and figure this out as you experientially yeah yeah i think my my other kind of last thought about the raising boys thing is is how much i've reflected on how difficult it is to kind of particularly in the face of school to continually reframe their natural tendencies in a positive light because i do think that whether you're talking about the natural desire to wrestle which is violent and you know the the energy is the way that it you know especially in the early years although sometimes it doesn't stop the initial anger is actually something else you know like all of these kind of natural tendencies that actually get portrayed as problems do you know we didn't it, talk about like the I'm violence kind of, thing did yeah, we no. because ruth and i fundamentally differed on this as in like you know your kids go to school and someone's picking on them or something like that of course you know the moms and the teachers want them to talk and yeah. my thing was yeah if you clock them really good they won't bother you again, and neither were any other people. But that's not the kind of talk you're supposed to be. Let's have it. We'll, we'll put that down as a show of violence. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. The only take because everybody in the animal world has a way of mm. just non-verbally communicating 
with their kids. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Violence anyway. does work, people. <laughs> Don't let anybody tell you different. All right. All right. This episode of the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast is brought to you by people just like you, wonderful listeners. So thank you very much. If you have a spare second and you want to click over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or just some stars, that really helps us out a lot and helps other people find us who might enjoy the show. And if you would like to contribute to the show, then you can contribute as little as a pound an episode or less than a coffee an episode. Um, if you head over to HavanaCafeSessions.co.uk and click on the Contribute button, you'll find all kinds of different ways that you can help us out. Thank you so much if you have already contributed in some way or if you're thinking about contributing and really even just telling other people who you think might enjoy the podcast or um, joining in the conversation is very, very helpful. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sarah Hunt, and on behalf of Clay Lowe, goodbye, and we'll see you next week.